Hey, how's it going? You know, I'm a little tired, but I'm here and I'm excited to be here. Guess what you're listening to? It's Go Off! I'm Glow Robinson. And I'm Caroline Bonnenberger. In today's episode, we are doing 2020 Gen Z predictions. Um, as Super Tuesday is just rolling around the corner, we wanted to talk about politics. Yes. But also, in conjunction of politics, the fears of humanity. Where does our nation lie? Because our president does can kind of control this. We are one of the most powerful nations in the world and we could either make or break our society for the next 50 hundred thousands of years yeah so we thought these topics would tie well together so i guess just to like kind of get started let's talk about the election how's it going Ooh. caroline yeah it's interesting um how about that iowa caucus oh god this is just embarrassing i'm really sorry <laughs> on behalf of the democratic party this is just I'm, I'm really embarrassed i don't know it's like it's like when you go home and you tell your mom like yeah, I was totally going to get an A in that class. And then you like totally flunk it. I feel like that was just like a perfect example of the Iowa caucuses, right? Like the Democrats are like, we got this going, guys. We're going to do it. And it's like, now we, we can't even manage like a one state election in Iowa out of all places. I'm kind of getting uh, like 2000 presidential election vibes from it, you know? Sure. I don't know if it was surprising or not that like Bernie and Pete did so well over there. Good question. Yeah. So I think, you know, Pete is really good at getting the white boomer vote. I'm just generalizing mm -hmm. here. Obviously, there's outliers. But I think that he's been really successful at that. Yeah. And the white boomers are the ones that come out and vote. And they are a portion of our country. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not surprised so much that he's doing really well in that state. He is a mid. He is from the Midwest. He's able to captivate the audience better. His um, minority initiatives do need some work, but I think overall it depends at the end of the day what your priorities are. Yeah. Did you see the video of the one woman trying to pull her vote after finding out that Pete was gay? No. There's a video online uh, that was posted recently of uh, an iowa person like fi after finding out that pete was gay she was like trying to change her support because like you know she's homophobic and the people like wouldn't let her they're like but you know like you voted and the pete people are like why why does it matter that he's gay and she's like i don't want to gay for president so like that's why i'm kind of surprised that's now, I don't want to generalize, obviously, but things are a bit more conservative out in the Midwest, even sure. in regards to like the Democratic Party. So I feel like there would have been at least some barrier of like homophobia, which would prevent Pete from getting a huge voter like voter turnout for him there. Sure. But it obviously didn't affect him as much as I thought it would. I think that it's. It's, again, priorities. Like, look at Donald Trump. I think he's a perfect example. Like, the evangelical base is, like, obsessed with him, right? Mm -hmm. He's done literally everything against the Bible's wishes of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, he's probably slept with the neighbors, okay? <laughs> he's probably... I mean, Putin, yeah, I guess that counts. Okay, oh. so... So, but he's done everything against the Bible, right? But people are going to still deny that. But it's ironic to me that with Pete, it's like, oh, he's gay. But, like, he hasn't actually done anything, like horrendously terrible in that sense because he's gay he hasn't yeah. like said okay guys we're starting a cult here like no it's just a private personal fact of how he lives his private life but does it affect anyone i mean we've gone circles and circles again and i think this is a common thing among the democratic party okay let's 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 dip into the personal lives and let's make it literally all we have to show for or what yeah. keeps the press going you know clinton with monica Lewinsky. I wouldn't even put Pete in this category, but it's it's like our personal lives. Yeah. And at the end of the day, does this impede the way you make a decision? 
it does obviously for some people their perception but like objectively speaking does it i think for some voters it does if you think about people like elizabeth warren and hillary clinton who had a whole campaign about like being the first woman as opposed to be as like if you look at someone like tulsi gabbard like she her her campaign branding isn't focused on her being a woman it's more focused on her policies more here's her story is that she isn't she a vet yes yeah so it's like it's more focused on her story like i'm a vet and uh here are like my policies but i feel like the way that hillary branded her campaign in 2016 and the way that not to i think the same extent but to a very similar extent elizabeth warren is branding her campaign now is one based on like i'm a woman so vote for me um so obviously that's kind of a like the personal lives are something that the democratic party cares about in their candidates sure um and people are responsive to that that's true that's true it is a good branding ploy it is a good branding ploy but i think in terms of the way like it's a good branding ploy but objectively speaking in terms of how they make a decision you know whether it's elizabeth warren like agreeing on a voting on a policy versus you know um some other senator Mm -hmm. does their gender actually matter like i mean it it depends on certain policies that that is true like abortion maybe um for other sorts of things as well legal gay marriage i guess i guess there is some ties to it but it's not necessarily completely overlapping so are we I guess the question I'm thinking, and this is kind of loaded, (laughs) but does the, not loaded, just heavy, does the personal lives of the candidate you're voting for matter? No, I think it doesn't, to an extent. Like, I mean, I disagree with, you know, like Bill Clinton sleeping with Monica Lewinsky, but... I don't know if that's actually impeded him from running the country. Yeah, uh, I just bring that up because I know many, that's the reasoning why many Trump supporters continue to support him because they divorce the man from his policies and not even like all his policies, but a lot of his policies, they divorce that. So like, I look, I don't support the way he behaves on Twitter. I don't support sure. the way he treats women or minorities, but... I like his policies in regards to taxes or in regards to whatever. So I I don't know. I think that's interesting in that we need to remember that, like, there's more nuance, I guess, in this election than people are thinking about. Yeah, that's that's true. I think another thing kind of moving on to, like, why Bernie is popular. Mm -hmm. I think there's that there's that hope. There's that extremist hope in the sense of like he's kind of being he's being the rat he's the radical in the race yeah i mean i think warren is more on the radicals leaning side but bernie is the quintessential radical guy you know he's the nixon he's the fdr he's the lbj am i allowed to say that he reminds me a lot of trump and oh absolutely i totally agree with you but he's the trump of the democratic party like shaking stuff up absolutely absolutely like i mean i love the idea of free health care i don't understand where his numbers are coming from so you know if i could talk to a bernie sanders economist please please give me their number i would gladly call them but you know i think it's that sense of like of the priorities issue and so obviously healthcare and education is a major priority mm-hmm. but it's about feasibility like if we have by far the largest military budget in the world yeah it's crazy it's like what is it 6.7 trillion i i don't know the numbers billion it's like it's in the 600 and something billions it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. and trump just rose it by three percent three percent 
And so why, why do we need this? Like, I know, historically speaking, we've always wanted to be that global superpower. If yes. you look at us, you know, post-World War II, we were like, okay, well, fuck, we need to really get our arms together and, and, have, a, and have a standing army ready to go. You know, understanding U.S. foreign policy is really crucial. But the thing is, at the end of the day, there's a lot of un- a lot of unraveling that we have to do to figure out, OK, how did we get to this point before we can just say, OK, great, let's just totally mu- like rearrange the budget. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Sanders's uh, positions on many issues deserve to be looked at more closely. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, at the same time, like, okay, I was surprised that he won, but at the same time, like you said, people want a radical and people want a revolution, like like some sort of revolution, because that's why Trump got into power. And seeing Bernie start, like, starting to get this Midwest vote, it's weird in a way, but... It's hope. It's hope for a lot of people, and it's, like, I... I'm starting to understand that now why people, why he's becoming more popular during this election. Well, think about it. I think even just from a psychological perspective, it's like, you know, we're stuck in this routine. We're stuck in these lives and we're trying to figure out like what's going to get us out. It's like when you live, win the lottery one day, your life just immediately changes. And I think that's what Americans are really wanting right now. Yeah. That, you know, immediate change, like, okay, my life's going to be different tomorrow. I'm going to have more jobs, more opportunities. It's interesting because um, I was watching old political ads because I'm a nerd and do all that on my free time. And I was watching Reagan's ad. I wasn't around in the 80s. And it was on very similar principles. It's like, you know, if you vote for Reagan, there's going to be you know, thousands of more jobs. People are going to get married. You can live off of a, you know, a minimum wage income and you can still have a life here in America. Mm-hmm. And of course I would have voted for that. My Democratic, my, my Democratic grandparents, I think, voted for Reagan. California turned red that year. Yeah. But it was that sense of hope, but it was more feasible at the time. Now, I do have a lot of controversial thoughts on Reagan because he totally fucked up our generation. Thanks, Reagan. I know you're dead now. But he did in terms of letting Wall Street come on and and changing the tax policies and not thinking about the future. And that kind of segues into another point about how do we how do we get ready for the future? How do we um, manage the fact that we have a rapidly increasing population? I don't know. The future scares me. So I just needed to, to take a moment to breathe and think about that. Sure. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, lot, there's lots of people that are having a lot more kids. This professor in England, she's like a, prof- a professor, a philosopher, uh, she's really interesting. Uh, I don't really What's agree. Her with, name? Her name is Patricia McCormick. Uh, she's like I don't really agree with all her thoughts, but she's like interesting. Um, and she got came under fire recently for saying that people should like maybe like consider not reproducing because of environmental reasons. Uh, because the price of having a child like for in regards to like a carbon footprint is just massive. Sure. And that's something I think that, you know, I it's going to be a problem in the future that we're going to have to be more conscious about. Now, here's the thing. So like back in the day when like zero uh, population growth or whatever, mm-hmm. that was like a huge thing. Obviously, the repercussions of that haven't been as um, severe as once predicted. Yeah. But you know, we're starting to experience exponential growth in a way. Uh, We're not going to 
stop until we hit a carrying capacity. And of course that carrying capacity, sorry, carrying capacity can be increased with like, you know, technology and stuff. But once we, at, at this rate and with the slow destruction of like the climate and the environment, sure. the resources are gonna run out quicker than we anticipate. And that's why we're gonna have to start investing in sustainable farming soon and sustainable uh, eating practices. These are things that I think people are starting to, you know, do the warning calls about and uh, that, you know, we should maybe pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a lot of thoughts about this. I think first off, when you say carrying capacity, I don't think we have a carrying capacity. And mm. the reason why I don't think we have a carrying capacity is because our our Earth, if you look at the anthropology of it, was never actually built for for it to provide resources to the humankind. It just never was. But what we did as Homo sapiens, because we are the smartest, most intelligent animals of the bunch, is found a way to use those resources. And so from the get-go, we are using resources that weren't necessarily just placed here for us. We had to create a system to do that. Like if you look at Mesopotamia, you know, using the water irrigation, it wasn't like the water irrigation was created for us. We had to find a way to do it. So what I'm saying is that if you look back to the roots of civilization, we've never actually had that sense of, oh, there's only so much. Now, in in the fact, in in some ways, I think you are correct because we are we are just continually to use and spend and spend and spend all the resources on the earth. But what we need to do is kind of like what you were saying is figure out, OK, it's not some we need to figure out how to spend less. But also we have to accept the fact that our population is rapidly increasing. And so what I think we need to really evaluate or it's not so much a warning call, but it's more of like we can stabilize. We can't decrease at this point, like, you know, trying to decrease the global temperature when it's rising is just not possible. But if we can stabilize it, I would say that's the first step, because I think a lot of times people either look at this as like very idealistically. This is just from my personal observations is like, oh, my God, the world's going to end because, you know, climate change because of overpopulation and then just start correlating all these things which end up creating these large logical logical fallacies but really more in the sense of this is a massive multi-systemic beast but it's more of like where can we take that first step and that's more what i would be focused on population growth varies between places in the world like absolutely in japan population growth has actually decreased like less young people are having children so that's in the future, they're expecting that to lead to a really bad situation in regards to economics because there's going to be a whole lot of old people and not enough young people to support them. Sure. So obviously population growth is different because then in Africa, there's still they still have like very big families uh, with a lot of children. So, yeah, this is obviously much more nuanced than just saying like, oh yeah, people should stop having children. Because obviously in places like also like the US, like that wouldn't work because we have social security. And we all wanna be taken care of when we're old. And I don't know, from there, I guess we're gonna just have to reform the way that uh, we take care of our old folk because, you know, we're all gonna get old eventually. And having a system based on uh, population growth when that's something that we are trying to stabilize is a bit iffy sure i think it's also interesting from our generation's perspective of do we want to actually have kids yeah 
I predict that we will, you know, for to make a dent in the population, you're going to have to wipe out a lot of people. Yeah. But I think that our generation, I think there will be still a rapidly increasing growth rate of our population. But I don't think it's going to be, at least among the U.S., like insanely. It's not going to the growth, the exponential the exponential number is not going to increase, if that makes sense. We're still going to mm-hmm. exponentially grow, but it's not going to get even faster. I feel like that might happen with not our generation, but the generation after us. That's true. Because I've talked to many people, and we've had discussions about this topic, and they question the ethics of like bringing a child into the world and uh, if it would be fair to them, given our current climate, like our physical climate. And then I talk to people like, you know, no, like I'm I'm going to have kids and like I shouldn't be shamed for that. So I feel like that's going to be much like, yeah, this is something a seed that's being planted in our generation. But it's something that's going to be discussed a lot more after we have kids of our own. Yeah. And it comes time for like generation. I think Alpha's next and oh then gosh. the people after them. I think I think that's fairly true, too. I think that with climate change, though, that is a growing fear in our population. Oh, for sure. More than ever, I think. And I think since we're so young, seeing the just the damage, because we I think when we were born, you know, the Arctic, for example, had a lot more ice on it than it does mm-hmm. now. And I remember even seeing like, you know, when I was in fourth grade, like in a science classroom, like, oh, this is what the Arctic looked like the year 1999, the year I was born. And now it's like 2000 and eight or something and it's like Mm -hmm. look how much it decreased and this is the prediction for 2012 i think recently uh antarctica experienced the first like 60 degree fahrenheit day like ever recorded this is from the new york times this is from february 8th of this year damn uh antarctica sets record high temperature 64.9 degrees damn that was warmer (laughs) than boston yeah, exactly. That is much warmer than Boston. And I I mean, also, I'm, I'm not reading the full article. Perhaps Antarctica usually gets warm this time of year. I don't know the climate data of Antarctica. Yeah. But the fact that these records are starting to be broken in the yeah the late uh, 20th and early 21st century are a little bit concerning. Yeah. I don't think it's going to affect our... Because I think we also have to look at it is how selfish are we? Like, I think the Earth will still be around, you know, by the time we're we're gone. Oh, yeah. But it's more about our kids' generation that's really going to be fucked over. And, I mean, in a lot of ways, we're fucked over economically, but they might have the economic put economics put together, but not necessarily the, the climate or the infrastructure put together. Exactly. Fun future ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's kind of all we have to talk about for our 2020 predictions. Stay tuned yeah. with us as we decide to make more. Yeah, of course. And we'll slowly rule the world. No big deal. <laughs> Hopefully. This podcast is made in association with WTBU at Boston University.